Sometime before Thanksgiving this year, a Facebook friend of mine posted online something along the lines of, if your church celebrates Advent, which Sunday are you beginning the countdown? Normally that question would not make a lot of sense because there is a liturgically correct answer to it. But this is an unusual year, isn't it? I was surprised to hear on that thread that one church had decided to move Advent forward a week. So it started on the Sunday we celebrated as Christ the King Sunday. That's one way to do it. A few others kept the start of Advent on the same date, but are doing Christmas Eve this morning. Again, understandable. Still others are skipping this morning entirely and having a service tonight. There's so many small dilemmas from the strange calendar this year that leaves us with the shortest possible fourth week of Advent. <laughs> Our fourth week of Advent is between now and 5 p.m. <laughs> Maybe you two are here today secretly saying, come on, can we just get to the Christmas music already? We're so close. And the closer we get, the more eager we might be for it to finally get here. And the easier it can be to miss the gift of the present moment. So this morning at Church of the Redeemer, we are sitting in the tension of Advent just a little longer. That not quite here tension that's at the heart of Advent and the heart of our life here in the world. What would we miss if we skipped Advent 4 this year and went straight to Christmas Eve? What would we miss? Well, we'd miss the ways in which the Annunciation, this story we read about in Luke 1, the angel announcing the good news to Mary, we'd miss the ways in which the Annunciation prepares us to recognize and receive Jesus when he arrives. In other words, we are just not quite ready. We have a little more preparation to do. The Annunciation prepares us to recognize and respond in faith to Jesus when he shows up. Not just back then, not just in the future, but today, here and now. How? First, the Annunciation prepares us to recognize that Jesus is present in the small and hidden. God's greatest miracle, arguably, the incarnation, started small and completely hidden from public view. The angel doesn't come to Caesar or Herod or the chief priest or the chief priest's wife. He doesn't come now when it could be broadcast all over everywhere. He came to Mary, a small town, poor girl with no powerful family to protect her. And when the angel shows up, she's not in the temple like Zechariah or the synagogue. She's not surrounded by her elders or for backup, angel backup. I'd kind of want that if an angel showed up. No, she's alone, seemingly, in her home. And the angel greets her like a high-status person. Hail! Rejoice! Highly favored one! Who, me? Mary is confused because she knows on paper this is not the kind of greeting you give to a poor rural teenage girl. That's what's going on. This is not the proper setting for a royal birth announcement, especially not one so highly anticipated. 
Think about if there's something you've been waiting for for a really long time and everyone knows you've been waiting for it and then it comes, what do you do? You go tell all the people who've been waiting with you, right? Well, God's people had been anticipating the Messiah for ages and centuries. There was good market for a big announcement here. And instead, God chose to announce this very good news to one backwater teenage girl first. One. I think about the fact that at the very moment the angel made this joyful announcement, someone else in Israel must have been crying out to God for deliverance, not knowing the deliverance was here. God's greatest miracle started small and hidden from public view. And not just in his choice of who, when, and where, also in his choice of how. There is nothing more quiet and hidden from public view than conception. Just imagine it. God enters the world in human form, and no one sees it with their eyes, not even Mary. She might not have even known the exact moment he arrived. God's most miraculous miracle, and we don't know exactly when it began. Sometimes, just like Mary, we may not realize that God has been at work until it's been growing for a while or quickens within us. In the quiet and the hidden, Jesus arrives. I love this quote from Tish Harrison Warren's book on Advent, which we used in the e-update this week. She writes this, Advent is training and hope because this season tells us that when things lie fallow, when it looks like there's nothing growing, they do not lie in waste. Things that seem dormant are not dead, and times of waiting are not without meaning, purpose, or design. God is working, sometimes almost imperceptibly, deep beneath the surface of time. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, when the shadows are very long and the world seems irreparably broken, I take courage from the Annunciation, trusting that Jesus is present in the small and the hidden, in me, in you, in us, and in the world that he so loves. Second, the Annunciation prepares us to say yes to God's invitations in our lives. Mary's consent to God's invitation to her, her big yes, is truly extraordinary. It astounds me how much Mary knew Yahweh, how well she knew this God of hers. She knew the pattern of how he works. She knew his promises. She knew she could trust that if she said yes, God would somehow work it all out despite the risks. And there were a lot of risks. This yes changed everything about Mary's trajectory, the trajectory of her life, everything. It could have meant the end of her legal betrothal to Joseph, which might have resulted in her vicious public shaming as an adulteress, ostracism from the community, which might have meant financial insecurity, maybe even some awful exploitation just to survive. You can imagine an anxious Mary's mind spinning and spinning and spinning. It could have gone there. But I'm amazed 
that Mary knew Yahweh's character enough to say yes and to trust that he would take care of her despite all of those awful possibilities. Mary shows profound understanding and faith. I would not have been ready for that as a teenager. Anybody else? Mary's yes here in this moment when the stakes were high tells me she'd already been saying yes to Yahweh long before that moment. Think about this. Imagine Mary learning covenant faithfulness in community, learning the scriptures, praying day in and out, maybe coming to synagogue when she didn't really want to, worshiping at the temple. Imagine all of those in her life and in her community who modeled saying yes to the Lord, her parents, her aunts and uncles, her neighbors, those who sat next to her in synagogue, the rabbis who taught her the scriptures, who modeled what obedience to Yahweh looks like. Mary learned from these unnamed faithful men and women who Yahweh is, how he works, that he's trustworthy, that he loves justice and mercy and had promised to redeem Israel. And there were countless others before them who said yes. Countless, whether named in scripture, like Ruth, Rahab, David, Perez, or known only to God, who were faithful in doing God's word, recording and passing down the scriptures and the stories and the law, those who held on to hope. Think of all those accumulated yeses to Yahweh throughout history, big and small. All of them paved the way to Mary's own great yes. May it be to me according to your word. This is an extraordinary yes, but it was a yes made possible by thousands of other very ordinary yeses. Which to me means that the, our smallest yes to God's invitation in our lives matters. There's a French tradition that I read about this week in Advent where the manger or the creche begins empty. The manger at the beginning, nothing in it. And during Advent, Kids are invited when they maybe do something kind or say a prayer. They take a single piece of straw and place it in the manger. Every time, single piece of straw in the manger. Well, by the end of Advent, the manger, hopefully, is full of straw. One piece by one piece by one piece, full of straw, ready to receive the Christ child. For me, that's a picture of discipleship. Daily yeses, small yeses, big yeses, faithfulness in the small things, adding up to something in which Jesus is made known. God may not ask any of us to step into an extraordinary assignment in the world like Mary. Maybe. But God is always showing up to us with an invitation to participate in his work in the world and in us. There's always an invitation, however small. We are invited to simply say, yes, may it be to me according to your word. 
In this fourth week of Advent, when the shadows are long and the world seems irreparably broken, I take courage from the Annunciation and the reminder that all God asks me to do is to say yes to Jesus when he shows up in my life, and God will handle the rest. And third, the Annunciation prepares us to trust God's promises, even when they seem impossible. Gabriel's words ring in my head here. No word from God will ever fail. It would have been entirely understandable if Mary had heard the angel and responded, inconceivable. It's a pun. You'll get it later. The most obvious impossibility was the fact that she had not engaged in the act that is required for human beings to conceive. Yet somehow, that's not Mary's response, impossible. She asks, how? And the angel honors her good faith answer, question, good faith question with a clear answer. Just as the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of creation to bring life where there was no life, so will God's Spirit overshadow Mary to bring forth life where there was no possibility of life. That's what God does. The Spirit brings life where there was no life. This is not impossible for him. Just as God spoke creation into existence at the very beginning through his word, so is God's word sufficient to bring forth new creation in Mary's womb. There is a debate that comes up this time of year in some circles about the song, Mary, Did You Know? Yeah, that got your attention, some of you. This is a song, if you're not familiar with it, it's a... Um, I like it, I confess. It's a song that explores whether Mary knew the significance of this child. Did she know? Did she know he would walk on water? That's the only line I can remember from the song. Maybe I should listen to it later. But how did she, did she know? Did she, how did she think this would play out? And there's a lot of folks nowadays who say, the angel told her, knock it off, she knew. I get that, but yes and no. She knew this child would be the promised Messiah, heir to David's throne. The scriptures prepared her for this, including the ones we read earlier from the Old Testament. She knew and believed the angel when he said that Jesus would be greater than David, the son of the Most High, that his kingdom would never end. She knew this child would be the fulfillment of all of God's promises to Israel, finally, but she probably thought that meant Jesus would literally overthrow Rome and set up an earthly kingdom. That's what people expected. That's what people thought Messiah would do. Mary had to learn about Jesus the Messiah along the way, along with the other disciples. At this point, I can't imagine she could have conceived of the cross and how she herself would have to witness the death of her beloved son in order to bring forth life. But here in this moment, she didn't have to know all that. She didn't have to know how God would make the impossible possible. She trusted God to work all of that out. All Mary had to do was to take the first step based on what she knew that day, not fully knowing where it would lead. 
That's what it means to walk by faith. Trusting God's promises and taking a step. Trust. It does not come easily to us these days. In our society, trust is at an all-time low. In our own church community, trust in human leaders certainly has been broken big time. And sometimes when our trust has been broken by church leaders or our fellow Christians, it impacts our trust in God too. God, where were you? Why didn't you stop it? Why didn't you protect us? Is there even any point in church? We believed. Why did you let us down so badly? These are deeply valid questions and questions that the Lord does not despise. When I ask the Lord these questions, and I do, I don't often get direct answers. Maybe you do, and you can share them with me. But what I tend to get instead is assurance of the Lord's presence and the Lord's promises. I get a word. I have heard the Lord say, trust and rest. I have heard the Lord say, stand still and see the salvation of your God. I have heard the Lord say, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be still. And most recently, I have heard a word that surprised me. Why are you avoiding me? Which is an invitation to presence. For us here at Redeemer, with our varying levels of trust as we head into a new year, I think that God's word to us today, his word that will cut through the coughing, that will never fail, is this. I, the Lord, will never leave you nor forsake you. Human leaders will fail us. Our brothers and sisters in faith will fail us. Sometimes we will fail ourselves. As Stephen Sondheim puts it, sometimes people leave you halfway through the woods. But God does not. He has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And his word to us will not fail. How do we know? Because in Jesus, God himself has chosen to bind himself to us once and for all, permanently. But that's a story for tonight. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, I take courage from the Annunciation. I can trust God's promises and his presence even when it seems impossible.
Throughout these past four Sundays of Advent, our preachers have reminded us that there are really three Advents of Jesus. The birth that we heard announced today, which we'll celebrate enthusiastically this evening with all the Christmas carols we can fit in. The Advent in the future when Christ shall come to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. And then the third Advent, Christ's arrival in our lives here and now. That's what we would risk missing if we skipped over this fourth Sunday of Advent. I am here to announce to you this morning that Jesus has an invitation to you in the here and now. And I don't know exactly what it is. Perhaps he's inviting you to trust that he is at work, though you can't see it or even imagine it. Perhaps there's something that God wants to do in and through you, and he's inviting you to consider saying yes. Perhaps he's inviting you to surrender something that you really want, maybe the future you had in mind, to surrender and trust him to provide what you need. Perhaps he invites you, like me, to rest on his promises and his presence, or to take just one step of faith, even when you can't see the outcome. One step is enough. What is that one piece of straw that you bring to the manger this morning as we prepare to receive Jesus in our midst, here and now? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you come to the lowly and the weak. You come to the hopeless. You come to those who are at the end of themselves with their back against the wall. You come to the children and to the joyful. You come to the old, to those whose mind is gone whose bodies are failing them, and to those in the prime of their youth. You come to us here in ways we see, in ways we don't. Holy Spirit, help us sense your invitation to us today, whatever it may be. Prepare our hearts to say yes to you when you show up. And thank you for your patience with us in those times that we're not ready to say yes. Keep showing up in our lives, we pray. And make us ready to meet you when you come, here and now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. <laughs>